fourth watch starts now. to the fourth watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight we're going to explore a strange and paranormal topic of major demonic proportion. We'll be investigating a strange phenomenon that's been going on for more than 30 years, haunting many people around the world. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I call this episode The Black Eyed Children Horror with special guest L.A. Marzuli. So we find ourselves amidst another strange area of research which seems to puzzle the masses. Of course, we're no strangers to the paranormal, but this particular topic is extremely bizarre and has left many questions over the years. We'll be welcoming renowned author and researcher L.A. Marzuli to the fourth watch later in the show. But I want to go ahead and break down a few things before we do. The black-eyed children are a phenomenon of people having strange encounters with kids whose eyes are entirely black, who insist upon entering their vehicles or homes, and who seem to ooze an overwhelming sense of fear and panic. There are hundreds of encounters with the black-eyed children worldwide, circulating various outlets including books, videos, blogs, and even newscasts. We're going to go through some of the accounts right now. The first story took place on Halloween night. A husband and wife were watching TV. Once the trick-or-treaters had stopped coming by, the husband had gone up to shower and get ready for bed, and the porch lights had been turned off as it was getting late. The wife and their American bulldog were on the couch watching television when there was a knock at the door. The woman was startled. First of all, she didn't expect someone to be knocking in the total blackness of the porch when the doorbell was completely lit up. Fact is, she said all the kids had been ringing the doorbell all night, so the knock caught her off guard. On top of that, it was too late for trick-or-treaters at this point. Now, the rest is her personal account in her own words of the events that followed. This is what she said. I turned on the porch light when I got to the door, and sure enough, I could see through the glass that it was a couple of pretty small kids. A little late for such young ones, I thought, and I began to wonder about what kind of parents would let their kids run the streets that late. I only opened the door enough to where I could block our dog from coming out, which was only about two feet. What struck me immediately as odd was the kids weren't wearing any costumes. They were in normal street clothes. Also, no customary trick-or-treat greeting. I began to feel very uneasy again. It was a girl and a boy. The girl, to my left, was older, I'd say about 11 or 12 years old. I could tell she was blonde but I couldn't make out any of the distinct features because our lights on the porch were from high above and they were on columns. So most of the light was coming from behind the kids. I had not opened the door wide enough for any light from inside to hit them directly. The boy was younger and about a foot shorter, I'd say about eight or nine, and looked to have light brown hair. The girl very politely spoke up, ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone to call our mom? As she spoke, something in the pit of my stomach was telling me something was wrong. What kid, even at that age, doesn't have a cell phone? Especially when they're out at this hour. 
I couldn't remember the last time I had anybody ask to use my phone. I responded, Um, hun, don't you have a phone of your own you can call your mom on? This was when things got really weird. Both kids turned and looked at one another like they were going to say something, but neither ever spoke. They both turned back to me and the girl said, My cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left. Can we please come in and call our mother? We're alone out here and my brother is scared. Now, I have to admit there were two competing feelings going on inside me. The first, that of a mother's heart, that wanted to help these small children get to their mom. The other, a sinking fear in my gut, that was keeping the other feeling at bay. It was then that I noticed, that during the short conversation, I had already opened the door a few extra inches, which I was completely unaware of doing. I stopped. Honey, why don't you give me your mother's number and I can call her myself? Another pause and they again looked at one another. After a short moment, they turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call our mom? And with that last statement, the little girl moved closer toward the door like she was going to just walk in. As she did, she stepped into the light and I got my first real good look at her. Solid jet black eyes. That's all I could see. The motherly instinct was gone completely and was replaced by a terror I don't think I've ever felt in my life. I could feel every hair on my arms and back of my neck standing at attention. I closed the door to where my face was able to stick out barely. The little girl stopped and again pleaded, Please, ma'am, we're really scared and alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. Then it was like on cue. Both kids began to whimper and cry. That's when the fear took over and I shut and locked the door. I'll call your mom if you give me the number, I shouted through the door, but I'm not letting you in my house. I could still see them, there on the porch, just staring at me through the beveled glass. Part of me wanted to run upstairs to my husband, but the bigger part didn't want to lose track of where the kids were. That would have freaked me out even more to not know where they went. After what seemed like forever, but probably only a few seconds, I decided I'd call my neighbor that lives across the street. As I made my way to the side of the table by our couch, I glanced at the back door where our dog had been sitting. Our dog was nowhere to be found. We later found her in the guest bedroom, hiding under the bed. When I got to my phone and I started to look for his contact info, it was only then the kids stepped away from the door and began to walk to the street. As they did, I walked to the door to get a better look, to see where they went, still not calling my neighbor yet. From the door, I could see that the kids were still standing under the street lamp nearest my house staring at me as I lifted the phone to my ear after calling only then did the kids start walking down the street I met my neighbor out under the street lamp once he was out there but the kids were nowhere to be seen it's interesting that they have a bulldog and anybody that knows about bulldogs they can be great dogs very loving very caring but they're also good watchdogs they hear noises and they perk up so it's kind of strange that their full-grown American bulldog had gone up to the guest bedroom and hid under the bed during all of this. Now, we're going to move into another account. Now, this is an account that freaked out a full-grown man. And this man is a father to a young baby girl and a husband. He writes, Last night was like any other night. I was switching between listening to music and watching YouTube videos with one headphone out so I could hear my infant daughter if she cries. That way my wife can get a full night's sleep because she works at 4 a.m. at the hospital every day. So I decided to go lay down in the spare bed in the baby's room. 
Just as I dozed off, I heard a thumping coming from the front porch. Startled at first, I opened my eyes wide and scanned the room, realizing it was most likely my cat scratching himself on the front porch, so I dozed back off. Then again, the thumping came. I got out of bed to run him off the porch, only to see he wasn't there anymore. Now that I was up again, I wasn't the least bit tired. I figured I'll just get some tea and check Facebook while I'm up. Maybe finish watching the web series on YouTube. A few minutes into the video, I felt a sudden urge to look up at the kitchen window. There they were. The tops of two short, statured people's heads cresting the stairs just above my window frame. The people were just short enough to not see in the window, but I could see out. I heard no footsteps on my porch as my stomach turned. But the knock, the knock was a steady, hollow thump. The very same thump I had heard and blamed on my cat. Deciding it was best not to answer, I shut my laptop and crept by the door back to the baby's room. I assumed it was probably just the people from the low-income housing across the road from me that were high maybe, or hiding from the cops, or maybe looking for my cousin who stays with me sometimes. It wasn't until I got to my daughter's room that the creepiness set in. The thump had moved from the kitchen to the bedroom windows. Both windows, a room apart, thumping in perfect time. These had to be stoners, and they were going to wake up my daughter if I didn't run them off right now. Upset, I went out to the kitchen, unlocked and opened the door, ready to run around to the side of the house and kick some butt. It happened then. Standing there looking up at me were two 10 or 11 year old boys. The feeling of dread and the smell of mold almost made me vomit. The smaller of the two then spoke. May we use your telegraph? I said, huh? I just stared blankly at these boys, horrified of what I then realized. Their eyes were pitch black. He asked again to use my telegraph. There wasn't a sound to be heard. No crickets chirping, no dogs barking, no cars driving by, nothing. I tried to play it cool and ignore the fact that he didn't say telephone or phone or cell. I calmly replied, I don't have service at my house. I'm sorry. The expressions on their faces turned to rage as I finished my sentence. Swiftly, I shut the door and locked it as quickly as I could, then stumbled back to protect my daughter. I picked her up from her crib and held her close. The fact that she didn't wake up freaked me out the most, but I managed to gather my senses enough to make sure she was still breathing and warm. Everything seemed okay with her. The thumping on the window started again. I dropped to the floor as close to the wall as I could and held my little girl in my arms, and I wept like a child. I felt helpless and afraid. I lied there for what felt like hours and crying and shaking until I heard it. My wife's alarm clock. It was then that the thumping stopped. The instant the alarm went off, and I crept into the master bedroom with the baby. What's wrong with you, my wife asked. I just had a bad dream is all I could mutter out. Okay, well give me the baby so I can feed her before work. I handed my wife the baby and she fed her like any normal day. I walked her out to the car nervously with the baby in my arms. I asked her not to leave until I walked back in the house. Once I was safely in the house, I locked the door again, and in the house I sat horrified until she got home. I insisted we go to the next town over and stay the weekend at my brother's house. And here I sit horrified while she sleeps in the guest bedroom with my daughter, wondering why they stopped when the alarm went off. I think I know the answer. I was previously aware of the black-eyed children. She wasn't. Every story I've ever read about them is from someone who already knew about them. Maybe, just maybe, the knowledge of them existing is the only reason they visit. I'm truly afraid, and I'm sorry. Now, another man writes about he and his wife's experience. This is interesting. The incident took place about 13 years ago. I had just moved to a new city with my wife. We were small-town newlyweds from the Midwest. 
We moved cross country to one of the biggest cities in the Southwest so I could attend grad school. Being naive and new to the city living, I habitually answered the door without a second thought. Never again after this experience. The first thing that should have tipped me off to the peculiarity of the situation was the fact that someone was knocking at the door at six in the morning. The second thing that should have dawned on me is this kid had to reach over a rather tall patio gate to unlatch and open it. The knock at the door was startling. My wife and I were getting ready for work, a pretty normal routine at six in the morning. The moment I opened the door, I was overtaken with an inexplicable sense of fear. To this day, I can picture him. He was a teenager, average height, average build, knee-length black leather coat, short black hair and sunglasses. The sunglasses at 6 a.m. struck me as odd, and even more odd, he was eating an apple. He was very polite and asked if he could come in and warm up. I said no, and I closed the door and slid the security chain into place. A moment later, another knock. I opened the now chained door, and before I could speak, he asked again if he could come in and warm up. No, I replied, and attempted to close the door. Before the door could shut, he put his hand out, stopping the door on its hinges. He looked directly into my eyes, still wearing his glasses, and he said, Can I at least get some ketchup for my apple? Screw that, I replied. Get the heck out of here. My wife is calling the police. He takes a moment to let the information sink in, and he lowers his sunglasses, revealing his eyes. Eyes as black as obsidian, and he says to me, No, you won't be calling anybody. At that moment, I force the door closed. I lock it and call out to my wife. She is scared beyond reason, hiding in the bedroom. All jacked up on adrenaline, I rip the curtains back to look out the window next to the door. He's gone. Absolutely no trace of him. I go out on the patio to check the gate. It's still latched from the inside. As I turn to enter the house, I notice a half-eaten apple lying on the ground. Now, the next account was written as soon as it happened by a frantic woman who was just documenting her experience. She writes, I'm in my early 20s. I just moved into this apartment and I tend to live a pretty private life. I work during the day at a grocery store and so I get home at night. So I was walking up the flight of steps to get to my apartment and I heard these kids laughing and then I heard whispering. It was kind of late so I thought this was weird, but I ignored it and I walked on into my apartment. I live on the third floor by the way. I was getting ready to open my balcony door. It was really muggy in my apartment. I walked over to the door and I pulled my blinds and two kids are staring back at me. I screamed and backed away, smashing my legs into the table. They were both in blue jeans and playing clothes. The oldest one touched the sliding door. Hey miss, can you let us in? The younger one just kept looking around. I still just stared at them. I finally was able to say, how'd you get on my balcony? I mean, we're on the third floor and the door was locked. I walked to the door and noticed how excited the older one got as I moved in closer. Can you let us in? I wasn't thinking, so I unlocked the door and when I looked up, I saw their eyes. You guys, their eyes were black, the entire eye. I quickly locked the door, so I called the police and the oldest boy pleaded with me the entire time to let him in. The police finally arrived about an hour ago. They came in and walked to the balcony when they opened the balcony door, nothing was there. They looked down and saw two children running in the parking lot away from the building. The police took a report and said they had to have had help getting up there somehow and that they would question the neighbors. I'm freaking out. I'm crying. I don't even want to stay here. But then again, I don't feel safe even going outside right now. Wow, folks. You know, it, it's so interesting. 
these black-eyed children showing up all around the world, defying logic. How do they just get up on a third-floor balcony? You know, there's a lot of questions we have about these. And, of course, the police want to write it off as some sort of possible logical explanation. Somebody must have helped the kids get up there. Now, this next account is pretty intense. I got to warn you. This comes from a man who had always been interested in paranormal books and stories. And he read about the black-eyed children. But he was always skeptical about anything paranormal or supernatural. As many people are. Fact is, he just enjoyed the entertainment factor of it all. But he never believed in it. The story takes place one night after he was visiting his mother, who was a recent widow. He was driving home and it was late. He decided to take the country back roads this particular evening. While driving, he then noticed the radio had completely gone to white noise or static. He couldn't pick up any stations. He then sees two kids out walking in the middle of nowhere. We're talking country back roads here, folks, with no stores or lights. And it was a cloudy night, and the moon was almost completely blacked out. And it began to thunder and lightning. He wanted to offer the kids a ride as he was coming up on their location. But he began to be overcome with a chill and a sense of fear that pierced him. As he sped up to pass the kids quickly as possible, he realized his gas tank was almost empty. He began to fear, but luckily, down the road he approached a crossroad that had a fuel sign nearby, and he finally made his way to a gas station. Now, the gas station was closed and totally empty, but they had a 24-hour pump set up. Now, let's hear his account in his own words. He said the rain picked up more and more, heavier and louder against the concrete of the gas station pump as I was finally able to get the pump into my car, forcing my hand to stop shaking. I had a horrible feeling that my shaking wasn't just because of the bitterly cold night air. Suddenly, the overhanging streetlights of the gas stop started to flicker wildly, a couple going out altogether. It seemed as if the temperature had dropped 20 degrees in just a few seconds as I glanced around. A sinking feeling started to blossom in my stomach. As if in slow motion, I turned around, facing back towards the road. Across the street, the two figures of the children were standing facing me. They had made their way from the middle of nowhere in the country roads. They started crossing the street slowly but surely, and I fumbled with the gas pump. It had only been a few moments, but it seemed as if the gas pump was taking its precious time. I was shaking hard now, as thunder boomed once more, and I looked back up. The figures were now at the entrance to the gas station, and my breath was quick and shallow, as I blindly shoved the pump back into its holder not being able to tear my eyes away from the children. As they drew closer, I became more frantic, even though now as they walked into the flickering light of the overhang, I saw they were just two teenagers. They looked ragged and frigid and soaked from the rain. I straightened up a bit, still terrified, but another compulsive feeling similar to the one I experienced in the car was bubbling, and I felt obligated to talk to these two, though I insisted to myself to just drive away, not to risk anything. They were extremely close now, at the next pump over, when I slid into my car, shaking wildly, and I fumbled for my keys, cursing myself as I dropped them on the floor. Leaning down, I swiped them up and sat back up, a cold, sickening feeling as I came face to face with one of the teens, who had his hand on my window, knocking slowly but forcefully. I rolled down the window a bit, just a bit, no bigger than to allow maybe a small child's hand through. Before I spoke, he spoke first. The other figure standing in the background, still, but I could see something of a grin on its pale face. Can you give us a ride into town? We missed the bus and don't have a ride, he said. He spoke slow, and something about his voice made me shiver. A cold chill swept down my spine, and I opened my mouth, 
but no sound came out. Clearing my throat, I glanced at the dashboard and at the keys in my hand. Stuttering, I said, I'm, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going, I'm not going into town. I stuttered uncontrollably, keeping my eyes down, not looking at the kids. However, the teenager knocked harder and harder and made me jump a little bit, as he insisted another time for a ride. I told him no once more and I looked up, trying to seem intimidating, which seems silly, trying to seem intimidating to a child, but a horrible, chilling sight greeted me. I looked at the kid right in the eyes and gasped sharply, my back hitting my seat as I went to back away. He had eyes, oh he did, but they were blacker than the night, pitch black eyes. No discernible pupils, no white whatsoever showing. Pure black, deep, and surprisingly intriguing. But my fear got the best of me, and I quickly turned the key and my engine revved to life. I immediately thanked God, which I had never ever done in my life before tonight. And I thanked God that my car had not stalled, and went to pull away and the kid banged on my window with a pale fist, screaming now for a ride. I took off speedily down the road. After a few more minutes, I pulled into my driveway and right into my lawn, in front of my porch. I didn't want to spend any more time outside than I already had, and I jumped from the car, leaving the car door wide open, and I ran inside, slamming the door and locking it, even going as far as to put a chair in front of the door, just in case someone or something tried to get in. Sinking into the chair in front of the door, I shivered uncontrollably and started to cry, hiding my face in my hands as two dark figures stood at the end of my driveway. As we hear the accounts of these demonic black-eyed children from all over the world, we see a pattern involved. They're always asking for some kind of help, and they insist on being allowed or invited into people's homes or cars. One strange account, a man was confronted at his apartment door and was face-to-face -face with a six-foot-three female, yet still a child. And that's extremely tall for even an adult. When he refused to let her in, she disappeared. But here's where it gets very intriguing. When he left the apartment later on, the word soon, S-O-O-N, the word soon was scratched onto his door. Interestingly, some people have caved into their fears as they're temporarily hypnotized or even strangely experiencing mild paralysis type symptoms. And they've actually let the children in their home or apartments. And this is where it gets really demonic. I'm only going to scratch the surface with this, but it's extremely eye-opening to the reality that these are demonic spiritual beings, folks, or as some call them, interdimensional beings, while others call them weird variations of Nephilim hybrids. One man who was overtaken by the black-eyed children says he would be dead right now if it weren't for his girlfriend showing up at his house that night. He writes, I helped them once, never, ever, under any circumstances, do it. I'm not sure what they do, but it feels as if they're ripping your soul out. They get really close to you, and you get amazingly drowsy. If it weren't for my girlfriend showing up mid-invasion and kicking them out, I probably would be dead. I didn't even see the black eyes until I let them in. We don't hear too many accounts of people inviting them in, but the few that have are scarred for life. Commentaries by researchers suggest that the black-eyed children travel interdimensionally with the goal of full-blown abduction by luring people in with their childlike appearances. Now the last account I'm going to share tonight was told by a guy whose friend went missing. And after hearing his account, it would seem to line up with certain commentaries by other researchers. 
Now, this account was written by a man in a help forum who was trying to find out some information and seek some help about an experience that happened to one of his friends. He said, a month ago, my friend was talking to me about these creepy kids that were hanging around his house. He seemed genuinely scared. And this is odd because he doesn't scare easily. He said they always wanted to use his phone and they would always ask to come in, but he always said no. A week ago, he told me he was finally going to let them in just to see what would happen. And I didn't really give it any attention, but he's been missing ever since. I've gone over to his house, but it's empty and his cell phone number isn't even going through when I call. Does anyone know what could have happened to him? I've just heard about the black eyed children, but I don't know what all they do. Please help. I'm seriously freaked out. I'd say that's a pretty good reason to be concerned. As a matter of fact, anyone who has ever dealt with the black-eyed children in the last 30 years of their widespread abductions and attempted abductions should probably be concerned. It's strange that as I researched, I found that there were not just black-eyed children, but also accounts of black-eyed adults and even black-eyed seniors who have made their rounds in the early hours of the morning, generally after midnight, often in the 2 to 3 a.m. window. But as we've heard tonight, even up to 6 a.m., some of these sightings happen around graveyards, walking through neighborhoods, approaching houses. I came across another account in California where they attacked a store owner in a back alley, in the mid-evening hours even, and there was a witness. He said that they had followed him from his previous state's residence and were after him again. He shortly after moved into yet another state. These stories are intriguing to say the least, and after hearing L.A. Marzulli talk about some of these experiences and offer a possible explanation through his research, I wanted to have him on the show to give just a little bit of his perspective. So let's go ahead and go to L.A. Marzulli. L.A., welcome to The Fourth Watch. Hey, Justin. How you doing, man? I'm great. How you doing today? Great. Thanks for asking. What's going on with these black-eyed children? What's the hype all about? Okay, Richard Shaw is my business partner, and he's also the co-producer and the director of the Watchers series. And in Watchers 5, we, in, uh, we interviewed a man by the name of David Weatherly. And David Weatherly has written a book called The Black-Eyed Kids, Black, about the black-eyed children, and I had read the book and was absolutely just astounded by what I was reading, and I, of course, I called David, and we um, had flew, flew him out here, and we interviewed him uh, exclusively for Watchers 5, and it was a real big deal for us because um, David's research, we felt, had uncovered something that, you know, the mainstream has shied away from, most people won't talk about, and they are, of course, the phenomena of the black-eyed kids, and the, the thumbnail sketch of this Justin is um, here's a typical case. You might be uh, in your home um, alone. Uh, you can be male or female at this point. Doesn't matter. It, it, these things happen to to uh, to both genders. And um, you hear a knock on your door right around, let's say six o'clock when it's starting to get dark. And uh, you know you go to the door and and there's two kids out there and they're kind of dressed funny, not dressed badly or or in torn clothes, but they're dressed funny. They look funny. And their heads are down. A lot of times they're wearing hats or baseball caps. You open the door and you go, hey, kids, you know, what do you want? And at this point, um, things are starting to go south already. And the person usually has this feeling of dread and they're not sure why, because it's just two kids standing on their front porch. Why should they have this feeling of fear or, or, or fight or flight type of deal? And um, the kids will say something like, let us in. We want to use your phone. It will only take a minute, something like that. Or is it food time yet? Let us in. They always ask for permission. And um, you'll go, well, what, why, you know, where do your kids live? 
And at that point, most of the time, after two or three exchanges, and I, and and I've asked people that, that have seen them myself, and of course David is, has uh, explored this in, in, in further depth than myself, but the voices sound almost robotic. It's very difficult to imitate them. They don't. They're they're human, but they're not human. They sound very strange. And um, at that point, the kids will usually lift up their heads so the person at the front door can see their eyes. And at this point is when the, the fear level goes through the roof because what the person who owns the house and is standing on the front doorstep looking at the children sees are these two children with total black eyes. Uh, there's no whites at all. They're just totally black. Just in other words, no pupils, all black, all black eyes. And at that point, everybody without question slams the door. Um, they are terrified. They lock the door. Um, in some cases, they bolt upstairs where the gun is, the living room where the gun is, wherever the gun is, that's what they go for. Or if there's no gun in the house, they will go right to the phone and call 911 or their husband. And they are terrified. Um, and then they'll go back maybe five minutes later and the kids are gone. Or even even a minute later and the kids are gone. Or even less than a minute later and the kids are gone. In other words, in some cases, they just turn away and maybe walk to another room and look out the window maybe 15 seconds and bam, kids are gone. How does that happen? So um, we interviewed uh, uh, David Weberly about this in our Washers 5, in, in number 5 in the series of 8. And it was a very chilling interview. Since then, um, I've had several people who have had encounters with black-eyed kids email me, and then which led to um, sort of what I would call counseling on the phone. With one one particular young man was I think 16. His parents were out uh, for dinner. He was babysitting his nine-year-old sister. So that's the scenario. His nine-year-old sister's in bed. It's around 9 o'clock at night. The 16-year-old is down the living room on the Internet and watching TV at the same time. You know, typical 16-year-old kid, right? As many videos as he possibly can get going are going. And the lights begin to flicker. The TV goes out and the Internet goes south. He thinks that's really weird. A few seconds later, there's a knock on the door. And he, he thinks, wow, that's really strange. And he gets up and he goes to the door. The lights are still on, but things are flickering. And uh, he opens the door, and there's this kid out there with this this blonde, blondish hair. It's kind of stringy. And, again, he notices that the clothes are kind of weird. Um, they're not old or tattered. They're just the kids dress funny, you know. And uh, the kid lifts up his eyes and, and basically says the, the, the typical line, um, can I come in? There's always permission. And the kid, the 16-year-old kid absolutely freaks out slams the door, runs upstairs, and at the foot of the stairs is a window, which enables him to look down at and see who's at the door. The kid's gone, vanished. And, and I asked him, I said, well, what's your yard like? And he said, well, we live in a sort of an upscale neighborhood where the houses are very far apart, and they're open, open lawns. There's no way this kid could have just run, you know, 50, 60 yards in that amount of time. He just disappeared. And he got up in his his, his sister was okay. Well, the, the, the parents came home, and the kid told his father. And the father, of course, then contacted me. And then I called the, the kid, the 16-year-old teenager, about a week later when we talked on the phone. Interestingly enough, you know, the mother was dabbling in a Ouija board at this time. That could have been an open door. But we prayed, and he sort of rededicated his life 
uh, to Yeshua, which was a good thing. And, um, you know, we, we talked about the whole fear thing. And, and uh, needless to say, he was he was very shaken up by what he had seen. So that's that's something about the Black Eyed Kids. Recently, there's been another sighting, several sightings in England, um, same type of phenomena. Now, David Weatherly and I believe that these are not children. We believe that they're interdimensional beings or hybrid beings of some sort. And this, of course, ties back into my research of the Nephilim and hybrid beings and the whole UFO phenomena. And I realize this is very, very weird stuff. And, and people who are not familiar with it will start rolling their eyes. Others will say, well, that's just absurd. What kind of evidence do you have? And, of course, that leads to all sorts of of other interviews we've done in the Watchers series, what's in our book, Further Evidence, which is in my books, um, On the Trail of a Nephilim and uh, The Cosmic Chess Match and the new book coming out, On the Trail of a Nephilim, Volume 2. So it's all linked together. And when I asked David Weberly that, do you think these are, you know, what do you think these kids are? And he thought they were not children, that they were some kind of hybrid being. And again, it ties back into what we believe is a breeding program. And I realize, again, that sounds completely nuts until you start to look at the phenomena, the UFO alien abduction phenomena, where people are taken and hybrid beings, they are, they are let me back up, they're forced to have sex um, with some sort of a hybrid being. We've heard this over and over again, over in my research, at least 25 years. And the then they're re-abducted, like the women are re-abducted, usually in the third month of... Uh, of pregnancy, the fetus is taken. They think they've miscarried. Four or five years later, they're reabducted and shown this hybrid baby, hybrid, you know, four-year-old, whatever. And they're told to hold it because it's their child. And you know, one or two of these, you go, well, that's really wacky. You know, maybe too much pizza, whatever. These people are delusional, but it's not the case. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases now when people have come forward talking about this. Then, of course, it ties back into the whole alien abduction alien implant phenomenon, which we've talked about ex- extensively and exclusively in, in the Watchers uh, series, specifically in Watchers 7 and Watchers 8, where we actually show the whole process of, um, of discovery about the so-called alien implants, and then at the very end, we actually remove one. So the phenomena, Justin, in my opinion, is all tied together. It's all linked up. I wanted to ask, um, there was a movie that had come out years ago called Village of the Damned. Yes. Now, on the cover, I I never saw the movie, but I remember seeing the cover, and there appeared to be these really blonde-haired children with with these demonic-looking eyes. Uh, Do you think there's any connection there? I think that Hollywood, and this this puts us into the realm of conspiracy stuff, but I think that Hollywood is sometimes given an assignment, for lack of a better word, and told to create something along this particular plot line. I think a a perfect example of that would be Close Encounters of the of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg's movie. Later on, Spielberg um, created the very ambitious twenty uh, hour miniseries called Taken, which was only aired on the Sci Fi Channel. Go figure, uh, unbelievable. Um, one of the most expensive uh, miniseries in television history. The production values were incredible. And, uh, you know, again, in my opinion, when you watch Taken, it's the best documentary on the whole UFO phenomena. I mean, they start in World War II with the Foo Fighters and move into modernity, and it is absolutely incredible. 
If you have, your viewers have not seen it, I highly recommend it. I'm not saying I agree with everything in it, but it, it's a very good overview. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's basically educates the masses, even though it wasn't really used. Um, it, again, it was aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. Something is going on. And Hollywood um, certainly can act as a outlet to educate and mass millions of people. I believe that we're in a cosmic war, and this war has been going on in an unseen dimension literally for millennia. And it's beginning to spill out on this planet in ways that I've never seen before. Uh, we're told in, in prophetic texts that there'll be wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places, troublesome times. And when we go down the checklist, I mean, look at the Ebola nonsense that's happening. Look at the 6.0 earthquake in Ecuador just yesterday. And, you know, the, the 7.0 and now the, the 9.0, like in, in Haiti, and then the big, huge tsunami in, in Fukushima, which crippled the reactor. I mean, I think we are, we are living in unprecedented times. And these ancient prophetic texts warn of exactly the type of things that we're seeing begin to manifest. And, of course, if, if, if you believe, as I do, that the UFO phenomena is not extraterrestrial, but it's interdimensional, then that sets up a whole different paradigm um, that challenges the Darwinian paradigm, because if they're interdimensional, then that points to the supernatural. And, of course, Darwinists do not believe in the supernatural. So this is, what, this is what's going on. There's this pull and push here between uh, worldviews, between uh, paradigms, you know, is it extraterrestrial or, or interdimensional? If it's interdimensional, it points to the supernatural. And then, of course, we get into you know, ancient prophetic texts like the Judeo-Christian Bible, which talk about the supernatural and talk about what I believe we are seeing manifest on the planet today. So, um, yeah, to get back to the root of the question, um, I believe that there are that directors are given assignments. They are, you know, assignments may be suggested to them. And um, then they're carried out. Now, I, I had done some reading on the Black Eyed Children, and it appears that they've been pretty much going through the same mode of operation, stalking people. Now, what's the? what do you think the reason behind the stalking is? I, I know in magic, a lot of times uh, they will use a, an animal that they call uh, a familiar, which will kind of go and do bidding for them. What, right. what do you think the purpose of the Black Eyed Children is? Uh, I mean, are they golems? Are they are they just out to, to torment people? I think it's it's they're hybrid beings. I don't think they're, um, you know, I think they're hybrid beings, and their their task is one to see if they can interface with us. Two, their their objective is to create the greatest amount of fear that they possibly can. And as David Weberly writes about in his book, it seems like right after they have reached that point of fear where the person is just has discharged a great amount of fear, for lack of a better term or phrase of expression, uh, turn of a phrase here, when the greatest amount of fear is reached, that's when they vanish. That's when their mission, if I can call it that, sort of has succeeded. So that's what I think is going on. I think it's the vanguard of what is what is coming um, I think these are test runs, and they're they're constantly uh, sort of probing and testing. I don't want to see one, I'll tell you that. But everyone who has seen them, everyone who has seen them, has been absolutely terrified by them. So that should give us an idea. If you don't believe in evil, then then I can't I, I can't uh, you know speak to it in any other way but that, because everyone who sees these things are terrified. They realize that there's an overwhelming presence of evil. They're, that's their phrase, not my phrase. An overwhelming presence of, of evil. 
Um, and it's just, it's profound. It's physical. It's a physical evil, physical energy, which they feel. And they realize that this, these kids, which are not kids, by the way, of course, are, they're malevolent. It's not, it's not, you know, the tooth fairy coming. Whoever and whatever these beings are, they are highly malevolent beings. And uh, that's not a good thing. The story that we actually dramatized in Watchers 5 uh, about the black eyed kids went like this. There was a trucker living in Texas that liked to drive, you know, the big, big thermos of coffee and drive across Texas from East Texas to West Texas to, to visit relatives. And he would do this trip you know, maybe every couple of months or whatever. He enjoyed doing that. He enjoyed just driving on the lonely stretches of Texas roads at night. Um, and if you've ever driven through Texas, it's miles and miles and miles of flat country um, that just goes on forever. And, you know, certain people like to do that kind of stuff. And you got the hot coffee going and it's so off he went. And so anyway, one night he's drinking his coffee and he's in the middle of nowhere on some Texas highway. And he pulls over to relieve himself. We dramatize all this in the Watchers Watchers 5. When he comes back to the truck, he's freaked out because there's this kid standing there in the middle of nowhere. The kid's standing there. And, you know, the typical black-eyed kids, the kid's got his head down. So and it's dark, you know, so he doesn't really see the kid. And the kid um, lifts up his head and goes, I want to go for a ride. This won't take long. And that's when the kid looks up and, and the driver, this you know, the man on his trip, sees the black-eyed kid, sees the black eyes, is absolutely terrified, runs into his truck, slams the door and hightails it out of there. About a mile down the road, he realizes that, wait a minute, you know, first of all, this guy was a Marine. He was he was physically fit, and he had, you know, he had martial arts training and all that kind of stuff. And he, he, what the heck am I afraid of this little, you know, 10-year-old kid? What, you know, what's going on? And he drives, makes a U-turn and drives the car, his truck rather, back to the area. And this area literally is in the middle of nowhere, okay? There's no way for anybody to hide. There's no house lights. There's nothing. Kid's not there. He's vanished. And uh, that really gave the guy the creeps. And, of course, he goes on the record and talks about that. And we interviewed David Weverly about that. And then we, uh, Richard Shaw dramatized it in Watchers 5 and it, it's, Richard did such a great job. It looks like an X-File episode. It, it looks really cool. It blows my mind as I, as I hear this type of stuff. I guess my concern that I know a lot of listeners are wondering is how this is going to relate to the end times. What's the significance of this type of activity in the end times? Well, I think it's it's the enemy manifesting, the fallen one, uh, Satan, beginning to manifest uh, on the planet uh, in ways that we've never seen before. You know, Paul admonishes us that... Satan, the fallen one, comes with all signs and lying wonders. I think this is part of the lying wonders, part of the all signs that we're going to see. We're already seeing it, so it's not like it's, you know, um, hasn't happened. It's happening as we speak. Um, and I just think it's 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 the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. Um, and I think it's, it's an indication of just where we are. You see, because, Justin, because we're all wired together with the Internet now, uh, if something happens in one part of the world, news travels at the speed of live. It, it at the you know bam, and we 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 see we see things and hear things and read about them only minutes after they occur. That's unprecedented in all of history. So we're in a time, a period of time where the Earth 
is wired and linked up together via the satellite system and the internet system, where if I say something on your show, someone in Japan can listen to that at the same time if they want to. It's unprecedented. We've never lived in a time such as this. And when we look at um, what's manifesting, the so-called Marian apparitions, the UFO phenomena, the alien implant phenomena, the abduction phenomena, the black-eyed kids, uh, the cryptoids that we see, cryptids that we see, uh, the Bigfoot sightings that are ongoing. Surely something is going on. Surely it's not business as usual. And the mainstream media and academia and the scientific community, for the most part, poo-poo all this because it, it reeks of the supernatural. And they're afraid of the supernatural, which is why anytime you see the media report on UFOs, it's always, well, Bob, they're back again. <laughs> Those little green men from who knows where. And that's how they'll sort of couch it tongue in cheek. They'll kind of yuck it up. And then the reporters in the field, you know, with a microphone just behind me here last night at two o'clock in the morning, you know, Bob Zitzoid saw this unidentified light. Were they UFOs? You know, that whole kind of a thing. And it's always tongue in cheek for the most part. And they just kind of laugh about it and play it down. However, recently, there's been what I would call soft disclosure. Um, the media is uh, beginning to treat certain subjects uh, more more seriously than, than before. But, I mean, I show clips of this stuff at my when, when I'm lecturing. Um, and it's just, you know, the audience just starts cracking up because, you know, some talking head will be up there and they're just reading off a teleprompter. And they're, you know, told, you know, make make light. And that's what they do. They're just actors reading off a teleprompter. They don't know anything about this stuff. And so they, they do what they're told and they get their paycheck. And someone else is writing the story. So, yeah, I think it's huge in the end times. I think the coming great deception, um, which is a term I coined in the Nephilim trilogy years ago, um, is, is upon us. We are living in an age where some of these prophecies now are coming to pass, coming to light. And we see this in the black eyed kids, the abduction phenomena, the hybrid beings, and, and, and yada, yada, yada. That's what we see. So there's this cosmic chess match, the cosmic war, which has been going on between these two parties. And it's about to end. And I can't wait till it does end because the system that the world is under will eventually be eradicated. And Yeshua the king, Jesus the king, the, the real king, will come and rule, not from Kansas City, not from New York City, but from Jerusalem. And, and I think that's where we have the hope in all these times, because people get really fearful. Like you said, when the people see the black-eyed children, they tend to be overcome with fear. They know it's evil. And again, I think it, I think it all boils down to a spiritual battle. This is this is just parts of the warfare getting getting more and more steeped up at the end times. And it's funny that you had mentioned the Ouija board, because... You know, a lot of people don't realize that they're opening doors to demonic oppression, but because of the things that they're they're playing with, the music they're listening to, they're they're playing these games, and then they don't understand why they're being attacked, or they're seeing these manifestations. Even with the the Marian apparitions, it's you know, I think it all. I'm with you. I think it all kind of links together. I tell everyone, always be like the Bereans. Study these things out. Don't take our word for it. But make sure you look into this because these things are prophecy being fulfilled. And, you know, we could really go into depth right now breaking down how this really fulfills different prophecies. I mean, getting into the Nephilim, the Gaborim. I mean, we, we could break this down. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough time tonight. But I want to encourage everybody, take what we're talking about. Look into it. I want to shoot everybody over to L.A.'s website. Uh, you can check it out. It's lamarzuli.net. 
That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I dot net. Check it out. He's got a bunch of great videos and books on there. Uh, Brother L.A., I want to thank you for taking the time to come out with us today. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for having me. It's truly eye-opening to hear about these strange and paranormal and demonic presences that inhabit our world. Many people are haunted their entire lives by these strange presences and entities. But I want to take us out on a lighter note of encouragement. We know about the evil presences surrounding us, but the only way to overcome these is to have the presence of the one true living God, Yahweh, in your life. He is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua, and He is omnipresent, omniscient, and all-powerful, friends. James 2.19 says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. In the fallen and demonic world in which we live, we must remember this verse. It tells us that all of the demons and all of the fallen angels and all of their armies of wickedness all tremble at the one true living God. That's not only awesome, but it gives us hope in the power and protection of our righteous creator who loves us and desires a relationship with us, which can only be found in Christ Jesus Yeshua. Now, let's talk about revival just for a minute. I love that word revival. There's a lot of misconceptions about what revival really is. The word revival is defined as an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Let me say that again. The word revival is defined as an improvement in the condition or strength of something. As Christians, we should always want nothing less than to be improving our spiritual walks, improving our faith, and the overall condition of our spiritual relationship with God. We should seek revival every day of our lives. The one thing that promotes true revival is the presence of God in our lives, friends. With the presence of such wickedness in this world, it is imperative that we have God's presence in our lives every day. We must have God in our midst. I want to take you all back to the book of Exodus. Yahweh, Father God, had delivered the children of Israel out of the hands of the Pharaoh in Egypt. Now, this was a huge deal, ladies and gentlemen. We're not only talking about prophecy being fulfilled, but we're talking about an act of God that was so great and mighty that it resulted in the supernatural slaying of a great nation's army. And let us not forget, it was even preceded by a list of supernatural plagues brought about by God to prove His power and ability to an entire nation, as well as to prove His power and ability to the surrounding nations. And of course, to prove His love and power to the children of Israel, who had previously been in captivity for 400 years. Many of you may know that Moses was put in charge, and he communicated directly with God, as all of this played out, Moses was told to go and fulfill certain direct orders of the Most High, which involved leading the children of Israel into the land which they had been promised. Unfortunately, the children of Israel began being disobedient. They began mocking God's provisions and mocking His promises, ignoring His presence altogether. In Exodus chapter 33, we see that God was talking with Moses in direct conversation, as two friends would be talking. God was addressing that He was fed up with the wickedness of Israel, and he was not going to go in their midst anymore, but he was rather going to consume them. God addressed the fact that the children of Israel were stiff-necked people, extremely arrogant and stubborn, much like we are today in the modern church. When the children of Israel heard these things, they mourned and many of them began to worship God and began to seek his presence again. But you see, Moses had dealt with some horrible attitudes, and the people were griping and they were fearful about trusting that God would provide for them especially as they would be facing large and powerful armies as they went where God had commanded them to go. It was inevitable. 
when they went into these different lands on their journey, they were going to face armies that wanted to kill them. And this upset Moses and even caused Moses to address these issues with God. Moses brought up God's promises to carry his people into that promised land. And God showed grace yet again to the children of Israel. Praise God that he's such a gracious God. He's forgiving. He's slow to anger, folks. But Moses was concerned with who was going with them as they traveled to protect them all. And he even asked God who he was going to send with them. When we get to verses 14 and 15, we see an amazing part of the conversation between Moses and God. God answered with this. He said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And Moses responded to the Lord. He said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. So what we see here was God was promising Moses that his presence would go with him as they traveled. And Moses said back to God, he responded, but if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. You know, Moses didn't want to go anywhere without the presence of the Lord because Moses knew the power and the authority that the presence of God embodied. He knew how important it was to have God on their side. Now, I don't want to go anywhere without God's presence, friends. I want God to be in my midst at all times. I want to find rest in the Most High. There's no true rest outside of Yahweh God. And the fact is, we can only approach Him through our mediator, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ Yeshua. So as true believers and followers of Christ, we ought to be seeking true revival, and we ought to be seeking true spiritual rest in God. But the only way we're going to experience true revival is if He is in our midst. If His presence is here with us in our daily lives, that's how we can experience true spiritual revival. And we must seek His presence. We must honor His presence. And we must be fully aware of Him at all times. Without God's presence, ladies and gentlemen, we will be consumed by the world. I rarely quote men, but I want to share with you this quote by historic pastor and author A.W. Tozer. And I'm going to close with this. He said, Revival and blessing come to the church when we stop looking at a picture of God and look at God himself. Revival comes when, no longer satisfied just to know about a God in history, we meet the conditions of finding him and living personal experience. Let me say that last part again. Revival comes when we meet the conditions of finding him and living personal experience. Oh Lord, show me your glory. I don't want to be satisfied with just a secondhand picture of you. I want to sense your living presence with me tonight. I long to know you. That's my prayer tonight, friends. And I hope it's yours as well. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted his holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of his word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, 
actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O dot B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.